it's the Dicebreaker podcast. Wills, I didn't know if you were doing I was, I was going to, and then and then you said, hello, it's the Dicebreaker <laughs> podcast. I was just like, <laughs> everybody else goes away. Look, wait, wait, wait here we go. Film in front of a live studio audience. <laughs> into the side of it and watching the water pour through and going, did you do that? No, I didn't do that. Uh, it's We've done it the exact same way every time, but Matt was like, no, it must be different. <laughs> Like, I just like to keep you on your toes on a Friday, you know. I think, to be honest, I think I clicked scene change when you said it's the Dicebreaker podcast. So, like, we should be all good. Look, I'm a pro. I know it's coming. I just have this. I've got the voice. Uh, <laughs> we should start. We should start doing it, Jim Ross style, where we're like, "It's Friday afternoon. You know what that means? Oh God, it's the Dicebreaker podcast." <laughs> <laughs> Latest sandwich news, we didn't eat any today, I'm afraid, David Leonard Clark. Well, I was speaking for you now, I don't know if you had a sandwich today. but uh, I didn't have a sandwich, I had kimchi ramen, thank mm. you for asking. Uh, Delicious. Yeah, it's it's Friday, it's Black Friday, happy Thanksgiving if it you're over in the US Friday. or you're celebrating Thanksgiving or whatever uh, equivalent holiday it may be. Um, it's it's us, it's just uh, me, I'm Matt Jarvis, I'm the host of this here podcast, joined this week only by one member of the team. That's right. Michael Wills Whelan. Everybody else is off, we are the... Just as I'm drinking the dregs uh, of this uh, delicious cider. That <laughs> hey, what are you trying me? to say about joining me on the podcast? <laughs> this podcast like Just as I'm drinking the dregs of, the of this delicious cider, we only have the dregs of the team left in the podcast. <laughs> um, but yeah, we, uh, yeah we're, we're here on Black Friday. Um, remember, it's mainly a scam, so don't buy too much. Uh, and also, um, this, is, this is completely off the cuff, Matt, but I think as a fun little mini segment, uh, let's go to the side of the segment. This isn't this isn't in my running order. It's Will. not in the running order, but I want, and this is going to be something for everyone to be posting in the chat whilst we're chatting. Uh, remember, we film this live every Friday, two p.m. GMT at the moment, but obviously British sometime is a thing, so watch out for that. Uh, we are uh, going to be asking you in the chat today: What is for Black Friday the best deal in board gaming? What is a game that you think is outrageously good value? Uh, for for what you pay for it, uh, and we'll be we'll be getting your answers in uh, in a bit. But for now, Matt, I like this. Yeah, yeah. What would what would your pick be, Will's? Well, I think we should re- we should reveal that when, okay. when we get the audience answers. Okay, um, sure. Yeah, but yeah, stay tuned for that. Uh, and let's chat about what we've been playing this week. Yeah, let's get into it. Uh, well, I've we both played at least one game together, and mm-hmm. I played almost nothing else. Else. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> which is great when there's just two of us, but we can chat about some other stuff as well. Hey, like, if you're joining us, thanks for being here. We're just going to take it easy. We're going to see you in the weekend in a nice, chill manner. Uh, but, Will, shall we start off by talking about Dune? Yes. Uh, which is the game how that we doing? both played. How, how are you doing, Dune, <laughs> Dune? How are you doing, a game of conquest and diplomacy? Uh, which is what we played yesterday on the stream. Uh it was the first time for all of us to play this particular version of Dune, uh, but not my first time playing Dune. So I'll break this down because it's a complicated <laughs> that was, legacy. That was a really simple way of putting it, Matt. Thank you. <laughs> it's it's uh, both straightforward and not straightforward at all. So <laughs> in 1979, way back in the late 70s, uh, there was a board game made of Dune. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Frank Herbert sci-fi book, yes. because of course it had not been adapted into any films at that point, no. good or bad. Yes. Um, so, 1979, the board game Doom was released uh, by I think Eon Productions, uh, the the same design team that made Cosmic Encounter, a classic, like bona fide classic Cosmic oh, Encounter. Yeah, absolutely. They made Doom. Uh, 
um, then it got another print run when the David Lynch film came out in about 86. Mm -hmm. um, then it vanished for 30 years, basically. There were like a few things here and there, I think a couple of expansions. Some of them were like released in magazines and things like that. I think there was a French reprint in the early 90s, but other than that, Doom was basically impossible to find for a long time, uh, and it led fans to actually just create their own versions and release them online because you either had to hunt down an original copy from the 70s and 80s and pay like hundreds of pounds for it, or you just couldn't play it. Uh, it's a whole it's a whole story. It's basically wrapped up in a load of licensing um, things. Uh, Harlan Ellison, I think, at one point tried to was involved in the Doom board game. Um, I like interviewed the designers way back when when the when the reprint came out, and they mentioned that Harlan Ellison was involved in basically convincing someone to let them release it. <laughs> um, it was a very very different time, um, but yeah. So eventually, this 1979 board game, about 30 years goes by where it doesn't get a proper reprint. Uh, after the David Lynch film tanks uh, and all of the licensing of Dune just implodes. Uh, and then finally, it resurfaces in 2019 as Dune. Just Dune. Just called Dune again. Uh, but Dune brackets 2019. Uh, so course, it was yeah, almost just, a straight reprint. We're all used like, to from, from cinema now. Yeah, every, <laughs> it's just like, hey, it's that old. film we used to watch, except it's not because it came out one year ago. <laughs> everything new is old. Everything old is new, mm -hmm. etc. Uh, capitalism. Uh, so the 2019 version of Dune had different artwork. I think it had very slightly revised rules, but for the broad strokes, it was the same game that came out you know, 30, 40 years ago. And it's good. It's a really good version of that game. Then, Gale Force 9, which is the publisher that re-released Dune, was like, I don't think that's confusing enough. <laughs> so what we're going to do is re-release this game, Yeah. but we're going to put a subtitle on it, and that subtitle is A Game of Conquest and Diplomacy. Which we'll talk about. Which is, is it doesn't really help because it sounds more just like a marketing slogan than an actual subtitle for a game. Mm. And it's kind of the same game, but it's not. So it's the same sort of game mechanic. So you are still, you are the different factions of the book Dune fighting over the planet Dune, Arrakis. So you can be the Fremen, you can be Paul Atreides, uh, including Paul and Duncan Idaho. Uh, <laughs> uh, or you can be Duncan like Donuts, the Imperium with the Emperor, or you can be House Harkonnen, etc. And spice spawns, and then sandworms pop up and so on. But the big difference in the new version which we played yesterday is that they very deliberately slimmed it down. They've tried to make it quicker and easier to play. And it is. They've kind of taken out some of the the elements of there's like, there's no longer an auction for cards. Um, they've taken out some of the factions, so there's no Bene Gesserit anymore, which was like one of the more kind of out there factions from the original Dune, because you could try and predict who would win in what round, and if you did that, you would win instead. <laughs> Uh, which is a very fun and silly idea for a board game. Um, so this this new Doom board game cuts off at five turns. So if nobody wins by turn five, you just count up your points, which is spice and strongholds. And the other way to win is the classic Doom board game way, which is hold free strongholds. So it is that game and it's not that game, but it's such a odd, complicated <laughs> legacy at this point where there was Doom, then there was Doom, now there's Doom, a game of conquest and diplomacy. 
But in that time, we've also seen Dune Imperium, the deck builder, come out. And we've seen Dune House Secrets, the like, game based off of Detective. Uh, there's also there's like another Dune game floating around somewhere. Dune Betrayal, the which is like the is, Resistance, is but Dune. The Because um, the, the Dune that we played, which is a game of Conquest and Diplomacy, uh, uses uh, art from the, the film. That has recently yes. come out by uh, didn't even. If you know. like Oscar Isaac and yeah. staring at Oscar Isaac's face, you'll love Dune. If you like looking at Timothy <laughs> Chalamet's face, to each their own. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no. The problem is like all of these new games that are coming out seem to be doing the same thing, which is just using stills from the film or like art based on stills from the film, which means that they all look very homogenous. It's um, weird, right? Yeah. Because I feel like movie board games generally got past that phase. They got past a let's just do screenshots. There are yeah. there are a couple that still come out like that, but generally if you see like a lot of the Game of Thrones games that come out have original artwork. Um and like I think the Godfather game that came out has original artwork. It doesn't just use screens. So it's weird to see particularly a game like this, which isn't I don't think it's like a mass appeal game. It's not like the kind of thing someone would just walk into like I don't know, boots and pick up, you know? <laughs> That's uh, where I buy my He's a pharmacist for our US viewers. Um, <laughs> I thought you were going to say, like, um, Waterstones. I was going to say Blockbuster, and then I remember Blockbuster, Blockbuster. hasn't existed for about 20 years. <laughs> Bloody hell, Matt. Yeah, you know, they might go into pets at home and buy it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's it's really weird to see a game like this that feels... Particularly because they have the artwork from the 2019 game, mm. which is, it's I believe the map is identical, and that map looks better in the 2019 version because it's like blues and oranges, and it's not just a photo of yeah. the CGI planet that then fades into shadow at the bottom, but oh, fades, like nice you pointed thing. out, it fades all the territory lines with it. Yeah, so you can't, can't really tell which territories which. are. God. Which is a very odd choice. So I think it's yeah. a very ugly game, which games that use art from films and video games and stuff tend to be. Like, uh, we talked about the, the Skyrim board game last week, which literally has, for the oh, character yeah, classes, just like a screenshot from the character creator of, here is what a Nord looks like if you use the preset. And it's like, oh god, okay. <laughs> but yeah, I think my main problem with it as well was just that it was a bit... Like, I, I get that there was, you know, it was supposed to be a more user-friendly entry, but there wasn't really much going for it. Um, I don't think there were that many things that kind of, like, you know, brought it apart from much else. It was also, the, the thing that struck me the most, because you, basically there's this rule where you've got all of these territories, this massive planet full of different territories and stuff, and the goal is to hold uh, three settlements or, you know, win on points if you're out of time, basically. I think we went into like a quarter of them because you only ever deploy into one space every turn. You can deploy wherever you want. So there was no, there wasn't really many um, times where I felt like I actually had to move forces around and stuff like that um, because I could literally just teleport them wherever I wanted, even if an enemy force was already there, which was like the silliest thing. And it was just sort of, yeah, I don't know. It, it, I think because it's a very, very convoluted board game, the original, they've had to like take a lot of the uh, sort of charm out of it to, to yeah. make it palatable for sort of 
a mainstream audience and it feels like they took a bit of the bite out of it i mean yeah. it's quite it's still quite um you're always kind of butting heads because yeah you just drop it like if someone's in a stronghold there's a good chance you'll probably just drop onto that stronghold <laughs> particularly in this one because you know that there were only five turns yeah so you kind of have to move quickly so unless you're going for spice you're going for strongholds basically there's no point fighting over like you say there's no point fighting over other territories because they don't give you anything hmm. um unless you decide that you want to fight someone to try and kill their leader and get spiced that way, but it's just, there's no real point in that. Yeah, it didn't, so, yeah, it didn't really feel like holding a stronghold. It was like, if you are stood in this spot, then you might win, you know? Like, it wasn't very wasn't very dramatic. Um, like, as I think about, you know, uh, on the stream, when we played it, we talked about uh, that Matago series of games with all the Greek mythology and Egyptian and Irish and, like, the... Uh, the one that stuck out to me was Cyclades because it has a very similar goal. You have to hold two metropoli to to win at the end, or metropolises or whatever the hell the plural is. Um, but you know those metropolises only appear like halfway through the game because it takes time to build them, and then you know they're like a strong thing to hold. So if you want to take somebody else's, you are literally like assaulting a fortress and all that kind of stuff. Like they feel as important as as they are in the mm. game whereas with this it was literally just like the border was a bit thicker <laughs> yeah you know it was just like okay i guess <laughs> i wonder whether as well so original dune the board game i think plays up to six people and it's one of those games where generally you want everyone in there because mm. it's it's kind of like root like all of the different factions are asymmetrical like the fremen can ride the worm and make it through the storm the imperium are able to collect other people's money uh like in the original, the Bene Gesserit have their prediction stuff. Like, everyone has a different power that sets them apart, and they kind of balance each other out. And I think with this one, it's been designed so that it plays from two to four. Uh, we haven't played the two-player version. I'm kind of... I'm not sure about that. You play allied forces, yeah. but it just seems like that would be even more of just cramming into the same spots. Yeah. But I wonder, because there are three of us, we're playing with Alex Meehan as well, whether it's really still best at the maximum player count, because that fourth person would then avoid like two people piling on one person or if one person goes because Alex Mean was generally just collecting spice and mm. you and I were just fighting over the strongholds but there wasn't another person to really like stop Mean from getting that spice I think this is a big problem with any three player I remember I, like, I used to play uh like total war battles with my mates and because there were three of us it was literally always the guy who didn't go in first would win you know and i think you have mm. a similar issue with strategy games like this where it is just um you know you have two people who really get fighting which in this case was us two and then if some person's just standing on the sidelines then they can just win by default sort of thing, you know? <laughs> yeah because they're not just burning their resources exactly, having to maintain yeah. the fight so yeah it's it was interesting i don't think it's a I don't think it's a bad version of that game. I think if people have never played Dune, it still does enough. Like it still hits some of those points. You get a good, like taster of it. Mm. But I feel that if I was going to play with people, I would just break out original Dune, or I'd break out something like Battle for Rokugan, which we mentioned yesterday mm -hmm. as well. That kind of like modernized version that takes those ideas and kind of. Uh, refines them a little bit. I mean, like it's it's better than Risk, <laughs> you know. Yeah, like, the, yeah. the battle wheel stuff is still really fun as well. It's yeah, like you like... you dial in your forces and you choose a leader, and then you're picking a weapon and defense card, and it might be that there's kind of a bit of rock paper scissors to it. Yeah, because they might pick poison and you defend against projectile, but with the power again, the powers kind of balance that out because you could use the voice mm -hmm. and the voice. tell me like tell me and I to use a particular type of weapon card. 
so it kind of narrowed down that field a bit and and the traitor cards also come into play where you can kind of instantly win a battle if someone uses a leader that you have in your pocket already mm. so there's some fun stuff like it's it's definitely not and i don't think it's ever been designed to be balanced yeah like quote unquote balance i think it's meant to be very swingy and it's meant to you know, if you get on the losing edge, it can be quite harsh and difficult to climb back up. Which, again, I think this is why, especially me and said during a stream, like just just play Cosmic Encounter because it is like mm. it's got that same like vibe. Like you're doing a very generic like uh, conquest game on the board, but that doesn't really matter. That's just how you win. The actual important part is all the wacky powers that everyone has and the way they interact and stuff like that. Um, whereas with this, like, it felt like the powers were fine. You know what I mean? Like, they were a bit diluted, maybe, maybe from the original. Um, especially the Imperium's, like, earn money during the market phase. I think I got, like, three free coins from that throughout the whole of the game. You know, like, it was, it was just sort of like, yeah, I guess. Um, the traitor stuff was pretty wild as well. Like, it, it didn't really feel like there was much. Uh, power in the players' hands to sort of like work out what was going on. It was basically just like you know a gotcha card. Like it was, it was just like ah, well, sorry, I have the card that says no, you don't win, which I'm never really a big fan of in games. Like it always feels like it's like you know it's like playing flux or something, and you know it's just like a meaningless. I just have this mm. card. Like I haven't done anything. I just have this card. You know. Yeah. Again, um, with more people, I think it works better because yeah. it's at least more spread out. So if one person has a particular traitor of yours you kind of know that the other five people yeah. or four people don't have that so you can go for them and use that leader whereas yeah. here because there aren't as many people it's kind of like well i can never attack you with my most kind of like powerful <laughs> leader because i know you have that card it's also just like thematically a bit weird because it's like oh no i've been betrayed well see you on monday frank <laughs> <laughs> they do they do go to the tanks they do get killed but then yeah you can revive them if you want it's which... just like I'm in this case, it wasn't chance, much of a benefit. Don't you yeah, betray me not, again, mister. <laughs> not much of a benefit uh, in this particular version. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's kind of, yeah, like I say, I think for folks who kind of like Dune and don't want to step up to the full, like don't have six people to play with, and if you really are fixed on wanting to play a Dune game, um, I mean, there's Dune Imperium, which I haven't played myself, the mm -hmm. deck builder, which people seem to really like. Uh, but if you're after something that's like that kind of more cutthroat, like area control, like fighting over the planet. Like this is, like I say, it's it's fine. I don't think it's bad. It's just kind of, it is a diluted version of that full experience, I think. Yeah, Chris Longhurst in the chat saying that maybe the number of turns kind of hurts it a little bit because, you know, those long-term strategies didn't really ever get a chance to to come out. And... Yeah, and in original Dune, you can form like hard alliances with each other and they persist. you can then break them later on, but you actually, there's a mechanic in there for forming alliances. Whereas here, I think they... The diplomacy in the subtitle they just kind of expect you to do that naturally but yeah and there because there's really only five turns point. and because there's only four players uh or three players like or it, whatever it, it wasn't diplomacy it was like oh matt's gonna win <laughs> you know like <laughs> you, should, you should hit him and that that was literally it like it there was no like oh you know i'll back you up with this kind of, because i think a lot of a lot of games sort of um expect players to just do that 
but mm. you have to have some kind of bargaining chips because you can't exchange spice. You can't pay people to do things. Which I think you can do in original Dune, if yeah. I'm not remembering wrong. I think you can exchange spice. And you can't you might even like, be able to show people cards or something. You can't like choose to back out of a fight. I guess you could just sacrifice yourself. But again, that's, you know, a bit counterintuitive. And there's no like, I'll back you up in this fight. Like you can't team up. So that there's yeah. not really any like mechanical... Uh, evidence to the diplomacy part of the title. Do you know what I mean? Like it's it's a little yeah. That's bit, the weird thing. Yeah. yeah, it's like the conquest is all there, but the diplomacy is was kind of like left on the cutting floor. Yeah. So in yeah. the end, it was like a pretty convoluted area control game with like a couple of bits on top. And yeah, I, it, I don't think it was anything really to write home about. But um, you know, maybe intrigues people into playing the full game. Who yeah, knows? I still think the full game is really good fun. Um, and I think this kind of cuts out some of the bits that I think are so good about it. It's yeah. definitely, it's aged a bit. You know, it's 40 years old. So it's, yeah. And this is why I think, you know, like, way, like but... you said, I'm sure it's way more expensive, but maybe play Twilight Imperium instead because that's, you mm. know, that's what, like the fifth edition or something or the fourth edition. Yeah. Um, so like that's had a lot more refinement. Like there's a lot more going on in the, there are, the yeah, like, aspects of it. Like That game is a lot heavier and I, like generally a lot longer, but I think you will get more of the sense that people are probably looking for out of a game like this. Yeah. You get more of that kind of political scheming. You get more of that, I'm building up my forces and then sending yeah. them at you rather than the kind of like all or nothing fight like every turn it's mm. like i'm gonna plow everyone into this one spot and if it works out great if it doesn't pants like i'll start again next turn yeah there's like sometimes you just need that slow build up to really feel like you're you know... yeah i mean even like we mentioned Komet as well which is like mm. has a similar design philosophy where it's just like you can only win if you get out there and really get you know get your nose in and like there's there's uh loads of mechanical things that support that like you can teleport your troops to anywhere to fight and like all that kind of stuff but also, um, it has something going on outside of that, which I, I think the biggest uh, problem with June was that it was literally like it was area control, but everything else was just sort of like superfluous, uh, like bits to get you some money. And the money was literally just like you can buy some more troops, and there wasn't really anything to do with it apart from like buy some one shot. It's also points points at the end. So yeah, there true. Is a benefit yeah. to amassing it, but yeah. Um... I mean, this coming out of this, it was like, okay, like my main thought was, well, I'd really like to play original Dune again. Also, maybe I'll just play Battle for Roku again again because that game is really good. I really want to I feel like it was really overlooked, and it's it's about the same length of time. It's about forty five minutes to an hour. It's not super long. It's about the same box size. It's not in the Duneverse, so if people already fixed the Dune, like this is in the Legend of the Five Rings setting, which is Roku again, which. I don't know, people might care about it or might not, but I think it's a really good game and it does a lot of that stuff really well, but in that time scale and that kind of like level of complexity. This also makes me laugh the fact that it's like, oh, let's, you know, let's make like eight different Dune board games because that's like a big hot property that everyone's talking about. It's just like, they might be for, you know, this year, but I don't mm, know. If... Line to it. They're doing a TV series again. Okay, fair right. enough. They're but, yeah, really good it's... for it. Like they've got they what I mean is like they've had a lot of faith in mm. June selling games, you know what I mean? Whereas, you know, if it was like there's a Marvel film coming out, you'd be like, Yeah, sure, why not? Right. You know, it makes sense that people are making tie-ins to that because that's easy money, right? But yeah, I don't know if this really has the same broad It's view. the kind of weird thing though, is like a lot of movie games nowadays, I th this feels quite old fashioned that they're 
based directly on it and they're coming out around the movie release yeah. whereas a lot of movie games tend to come out and they're either nostalgic so you get back to the yeah. future you get ghostbusters or they are they take things in a completely different so like the marvel stuff is based more on the comics than the films mm. there's like there's thanos rising but it's not really based on like infinity war or yeah. endgame or anything like that it's just a kind of like yeah here's thanos like you gotta fight him yeah, so the think, very broad strokes of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I think the era of movie tie-in video games has really soured people's opinions on that, and like maybe that's why they're for or have for a long time sort of avoided that kind of um, marketing strategy, where it's mm. just like it's Spider-Man the movie, the board game, and it's just like. Mm. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I don't know. It's 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 a it's definitely a strange one. I don't know how many of these games that have come out are actually going to be all right. You know they might be fine. Again, though, like this is this is a game that isn't actually based on the movie. It's based on you know the original game, which is based on the book, right? So it's like, yeah, it's more but a lot of, of the reskin, weakest points, like know? the yeah, the visuals, which is the bit based on the movie. I think is one of the weakest points about it. Yeah, which is <laughs> so it's like when yeah. the movie touches it because that like I say that last game looked really nice, like it had a really good distinctive art style. Um, so yeah, it's it's kind of a shame. Like I say, I don't think it's a complete. You know, if someone picks this up, I don't think you'll be completely devastated. It's playable. You'll probably have a good time of it. But I don't think it will hold you in the same way that yeah that original game did for a lot of people for a long time. Uh, all right. Well, that's uh, what Dune. Else? Yeah, that's <laughs> Dune. That's Dune, a game of conquest and diplomacy. I have seen some people referring to it as just Dune Conquest, which I think would have been a, a much God, better. yeah, no, that is a much better and name. And more accurate. <laughs> yeah. Because... Like I say, we've got Dune Imperium, Dune Betrayal, so it would fit right into the Dune single word kind of. It is just like trend. it's it's the marketing department saying like, oh, we need to have something that's you know unique from X Y Z. That's why you get things like uh, what is it, Immortals Phoenix Rising and all that <laughs> kind of crap, where it's just like, what does that mean? Like that. Uh, I think we're still in it, to be honest. The big period of when video games had to have a colon subtitle in them. Otherwise, mm. they just they weren't a video game. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Well. Uh, yeah, that's that's that. Have you been playing anything else, Wills? Uh, tabletop? No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I've been playing a hell of a lot. Oh, pardon me. <coughs> Ooh, I've been playing a hell of a lot of um, Red Dead Online, which is the mm. online Red Dead Redemption. Because I, I told you recently, like I've been um, very late to the Red Dead Two train, but actually a big convert. Like I think it's a really good game. Um, and then I wasn't really ready to give it up, so I was like, I'll try the online until it's like and actually really gelled with it. Like I, um, I've been enjoying just sort of like you know, just lassoing people and lassoing dragging people them behind a horse. Doing some doing some bounty hunting and hunting and all that kind of stuff, um, and I've also like it's it's made me nostalgic for I remember in the original Red Dead uh, there was like this town in Mexico where I would spend hours playing Liars Dice. Um, oh yeah, which is I where, love like, Liars Dice. Yeah, like way before I was really into board games to be honest, but like something about Liars Dice just really hooked me. I mean, it's a great game to be fair. Like, yeah, it's so Liars Dice. Here's just just a anecdote uh so lies dice i think also known as perudo um yes. so obviously it's existed forever it's like yeah, yeah. you know i think it's like as old as chess or something yeah. it's it's just, just old as hundreds are, of years you know? yeah <laughs> but um it was re that it was kind of packaged up and released as lies dice i think in like the early 2000s or something like that and i believe it won the spielders yaras or something like that it won some kind of major prize really and it remains a point of contention among people because it's 
it was a game that already existed and someone just basically put it in a box. <laughs> um, I'm probably half remembering, uh, but yeah, I believe that it was like, it may have even been like a well-known design, like a Richard Garfield alike mm. or something like that. And maybe they tweaked one rule or something, yeah. but it was basically just the liar's dice, you know? Um, but yeah, uh, as David Lennigan, uh, Leonard Flanagan points out, it appears in Punch of the Caribbean, which is actually where I discovered it as well, is they play in <laughs> Dead Man's Chest, the second film. And I was like, that seems like fun. I would like to wager my soul mm. um, against these barnacle Bill Nye. Uh, the special effects in the originals were so good. But what, it's, it's a shame the they made eight of those. <laughs> it's a shame they made three of those. Like, <laughs> the first one was goofy fun. The second one is not good. Yeah. But it's like, you can get along with it. I mean, there are also other big issues now with the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise. So Yes, there are. Yes, yes, uh, there are. Maybe yes, don't watch those films. There but there you go. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, I love Red Dead Online. I, I've been, mm. um, like, I've been pleasantly surprised by how much I like it. Because I think it has... It's got like some MMO de- DNA, and I, I despise MMOs. I don't know what it is about them, but they just like. Do I not did too, Will's. I did too. Don't even think about bringing up that the Bunny Boy game because I swear to God, man. <laughs> Bunny Boys aren't in it yet. The they Bunny arrive- Girl game. Then. <laughs> they arrive of Endwalker. You can have your Bunny Boy of Endwalker. Oh God. Uh, um, but yeah, the uh, the um what was i gonna say sorry uh yeah no the 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 sort of like um dna of an mmo where it, where it is that kind of like you know grinding to the next little story mission all that kind of stuff like it just never really gelled with me i played guild wars 2 for a bit and didn't mind it but then again like i just hit that wall where it's just like okay guess i gotta go beat up some goblins best, for yeah. five hours you know and it's just yeah just never really interested me because I just wanted to crack on with the story because I, I was never really bothered about the um, uh, like the you know multiplayer aspects of it to be honest. Like I I was just kind of like having fun uh, and it was very much felt like I was being punished for you know just playing it single player or whatever. Um, but then with 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 Red Dead Online and I'm sure this is partly true for GTA Online, but I think GTA Online is a bit more jank and nefarious. Um, it's just a bit more like open like it's not mm. it's not like there's like a quest you can follow which gives you some stuff and some storyline and whatever but it is mainly just like pick a thing you want to do and then go do that and then you might you know do that and you meet up with some friends and you do some missions together and then oh i found this on the road and it's like it's that experience you get in between the quests in red dead's uh single player where it's just like oh i ran into a, a guy and he's he's been bit by a snake i'm gonna help him back to town and you know and then i've stumbled into this stranger and i did this thing and it's like oh it's been five hours you know like it is just that like diluted into like an online f- um format uh, hmm. and yeah it's really good I've got nothing to do with board games really i just <laughs> well i i can i can move it over a little bit because i wrote for Eurogamer actually our friends over at Eurogamer uh, a little while ago about western legends mm. uh, which is a board game that i think co- probably comes the closest to something like red dead and i think the thing that's so good about it is that it tries to do an open world yeah so you you are after i can't remember if it's like i don't know if they just call it victory points or if they call it something like glory or fame or yeah. something like that it's it's that kind of thing you're after you're trying to become the most famous cowboy yeah. or cowpoke or whatever it may be um and you play generally as real life people um and they have a they have like a good selection in there it's not just like essentially a load of white men Mm. um 
But one of the cool things about it is that you can do various different things and you can, it kind of has like a very loose, it's not super complex as a board game, but it has a loose morale system. So you can herd cattle, so you can guide cattle from one place to another and deliver them, or you can rustle them, yeah, um, which will give you something else, but it will build up your bounty. And as you get to get a bigger bounty, other players can then come after you, That's trying to get down and turn yeah. in the bounty. And it's things like you can just earn, if you want to rustle cattle, you can rustle cattle. If you want to be a bounty hunter, you can do that. You can also just go to the saloon and play, I think, poker, mm-hmm. because the cards in the game are playing cards but they have multiple functions okay. so you can play like a very simple version of poker and gain infamy or fame that way but it does a really good job of it doesn't really matter what really you fun. do yeah it's really good i really like western legends um it came out a few years ago but yeah i'd really recommend it i wonder if it is inspired by the original red dead to be honest like by the way we have, a super, we have a super chat from scott perkins who says mm. in all caps give me buddy boys um. mm-hmm. rightfully <laughs> so uh, but yeah, Western Legends is really, really good. I think they put out a few expansions for it as well, but I'd really recommend it. If if folks are after something that is, like I say, it's kind of like a Red Dead-esque, but it's just a fun way to spend like an hour and a half just well, Matt, going around doing I'll, stuff. I have another segue for you, because oh, speaking yeah? of diverse casts in a cowboy setting, um, I have a an interesting history tidbit for the, mm. for you in the chat. Um, you know, the word cowboy, where that actually comes from is, um, unfortunately, in the very racist history of the whole world, including America, um, jobs like that, that kind of cowpoke job were often given to um, people of color, which and put in sort of like not very good financial situations. Um, but as a sort of term of disrespect, they would call them boy, like it, they weren't men, they were boys, you know, uh. which is a thing. So the term cowboy is, is someone who looked after the cows and was black in this in this context um so then and this is this then carries on to another interesting fact which is um in a sort of uh you know a way to get away from that um it became a thing in black culture especially in america for people to refer to each other as man and say like hey man as like a reaffirming thing it's like no we are people sort of thing Hmm. um which then when you know blues music got popular and then subsequently jazz music um it became like synonymous with that genre and then as white people decided to you know grab onto jazz and and sort of you know appropriate a little bit they would just say hey man how's it going cool man you know because they didn't really understand the context they thought it was just a fun cool thing to say um but that sort of that now term of cowboy that we all know as has like a uh not very nice but kind of interesting history to it which is yeah yeah i didn't realize that yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> yeah. uh, I think generally, like, I now try to use cowpoke. Um, yeah. Because, yeah, it also is just, like, gender neutral. But yeah. I don't actually know what the cowpoke refer. I think it refers to, like, the, um, like, you literally jab along cattle, right? Back in the day, you would jab yeah, them with guess. a... Well, maybe kind of the pitchfork like, and the hay that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, anything else? Is that all you've been up to? That's all I've been up to. So, so you've been playing some oh. Six Nymphs, some Avatar RPG. Yeah, I played this and... with uh, Chase and Mian last uh, last week. Um, we played a bit of Six Nymphs. I had not played, I don't think, ever before. If I had played it, it was a long time ago. So it's a game... Oh, the cat's all woken. Apologies. <laughs> she, she was snoring so loudly, I didn't know if it picked up on the microphone before. <laughs> no, um, <laughs> so Six Nymphs is a game by Wolfgang Kramer, who is... Very prolific. Uh, I believe has won the Spiel des Jahres more than anyone else. 
um, still has been it's making games for like something about years having the name Wolfgang just makes you a <laughs> prominent <laughs> figure in, in whatever place you choose. Um, but it's probably best known for designing um, Top Force, which then got turned into a uh, Top Race, sorry, which then got turned into Downforce, the racing game. Mm-hmm. Um, has made many, many other things. Uh, teamed up with, uh, I think, is the co-designer of Tikal and. Yeah. Some other games that also won Spirit of Anyway, Wolfgang Kramer. Turns out a lot of games. Um, Six Nimbed is a very simple game. You have cards and they have numbers on. And they also have bull heads on. Um, I think Six Nimbed refers to like take six. I think it's that in German. Uh, we no longer have low lease to translate. So apologies <laughs> uh, if I'm translating wrong. Um, but it's very simple. Basically, you play cards in four rows. And you... Everybody picks a card, and then you play them all at once. And you have to play your card in the row that it is closest to the number that is currently down. Right. So, for instance, if there was a five and someone played a seven, that seven would go next to it, apart from if somebody else played the six, because they all get played at once. So the six would then sneak in, and the seven would go after it. The importance of this is that when you hit the sixth card, if you play the sixth card in a row, you have to take all the cards in that row. And depending on how many bullheads are on those cards, you lose points. And it's the first to lose 66 points. Oh um, <laughs> so, yeah, it's it's very simple, but it's very, like, a lot of it is infuriating at points because you'll, you'll be like, oh, I've got this. And then someone will just sneak in one card before you and you'll be forced to take an entire row. That is the most German game I've ever heard. <laughs> if, you, if you can't play a card at all, you have to pick a row to take, mm. um, which sometimes can be more beneficial because you might just pick up one card yeah. rather than six. Um, and that's basically that game. So we were playing, like I said, I was playing with me and Chase. I lost very badly. I kind of started well and then immediately just plunged um, and was just... At some point, I was picking up a row of cards like every turn. Uh, it was <laughs> devastating, but it was really, really good fun. Um, I think that game is wildly popular. It's been out for something like twenty years or something at this yeah, point. Yeah, it, it, I consistently see it at you know board game yeah. shops and online. But it's really good, and I think was we were playing on board game arena, and uh, it was especially good on there because you didn't have to. You didn't have the extra added maths of thinking like okay like is this closer to that like having to look at each row every time you could just be like okay like this goes there done um so it's also very fast but yeah i really really enjoyed it um it is yeah it's just and sometimes you know like as you play something you just know that you're either gonna get screwed or you're screwing over someone else (laughs) where it's like if there's an 85 at the like as the fourth card and you've got the 86 like there's a good chance that someone will play something else and you'll just sneak ahead of them. And it's, it's very satisfying. Um, and also quite mean, but yeah, I really enjoyed it. It's uh, making that's... me want to play cheating off again. I've got it shrink. Moff's very in good. The, yeah. Cheating off is very good. Chance to if folks haven't seen cheating off, we played it on Loli's leaving stream a couple of weeks ago. Uh, so yeah, go and check it out. I Honestly, they're the hardest yeah. I've laughed in a while. Hello, Holly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Cheating Moff is fantastic. It's oh, hilarious. Brilliant. It's just so uh, And it's kind of that we were chatting about Necromolds last week, and mm. I was saying about how it's a game that only works as a board game because you have yeah. to be like playing with physical stuff, and Cheating Moff is the same. Like you could just never have a digital version of Cheating Moff mm. because it's all about physically hiding cards or like throwing them or distracting. So it's yeah, it's that kind of like yeah, perfect board game. 
Uh, all right. Uh, anything else? I can quickly run through. We've got a little bit of time because it's been... It's honestly, it's, it's strange. I think it's the lack of me, and we're like, oh, this is <laughs> so much time. <laughs> I think also it's it's been a little quieter week this week. Obviously, yeah, Thanksgiving's going on as well, so the board game industry is a little quieter than usual. Um, and we had we had this on last month. Uh, we got Pax Unplugged next month along with Christmas. So mm-hmm. yeah, we're kind of in kind of in a little dip. So it's quite nice to to have a week <laughs> that we can actually breathe a little bit. Speaking um, of Pax. Uh... Uh, we are yes. we are planning to go. Um, we are far. <laughs> we are waiting on my replacement passport. And Matt recently forwarded an article to our Dicebreaker WhatsApp group, which is just like company apologizes for the massive delay in passports, and it's like, oh no. <laughs> yeah. So whether or not I'll be there, who knows? Yeah, we will be there in some capacity. Yes, but wills may not. Um, <laughs> So yes, we'll but we will be at Bags Unplugged. We have a couple of streams that we will announce very soon. Uh, one that we're very excited about that we can tease now is the team will be playing Cyberpunk Red yes. with both Cody and Mike Pondsmith. Yes, uh, father and son team behind Cyberpunk. So Mike Pondsmith, the original creator of Cyberpunk 2020, and obviously Red as well. And Cody, who co-designed Red and also designed the Witcher tip-top RPG. Uh, if you've watched. The YouTube channel before we've played with Cody before. It's always a good time. He's an incredible GM. So he'll be GMing and Mike will be playing Maximum his own Mike. game. Yeah. Um, the, uh, so it'll be very, very good. The best thing about it was the fact that we were like, oh, we'd love to do that, but you know, we'll see if they're busy or not. And then Cody was like, no, 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 I'm well into that. Yeah. <laughs> he was like, he, I've already planned it out. Yeah. He, <laughs> he does genuinely just really like playing so fun yeah. with us, which is really lovely. Yeah. Uh, but so yeah. that will. We'll we'll have more sound that soon. We'll we'll let folks know the uh, theatre that we're in and the times. But that will be at Pax Unplugged, uh, which I should say is run by the folks who own us. Read pop, yes, uh, for the sake of clarity. Daniel Levy, no, I did not lose my passport. It expired, but yes. we were in the middle of a global pandemic, so it wasn't really pressing to get it replaced until it was. <laughs> like everybody's passports ran out this year. It's like Lonely's and mine ran out just before Essen. Yours ran out just before Pax. Yeah, turns out when you have two years of not going anywhere. You, just you don't can't really think about, about your passport. Yeah. Uh, I can chat about some other stuff quickly. We've got, we got a little bit of time. Well, it says here, Matt, uh, something Lone Wolf and Cub? Oh, yeah, I finished Lone Wolf and Cub. It's a really good series. Uh, so it's a long-running uh, manga. Yeah. Um, originally released in the 70s. It is, so I started reading it two years ago because it basically influenced a lot of modern stuff particularly and i started reading it before it came out but the mandalorian is basically lone wolf and cub with yoda oh so lone wolf and cub is a samurai um and his infant uh son in a car yes. who goes around there's also a series of films um which influence things like kill bill they're also there's samples of them in uh uh yeah albums by like the jizzer of the wu-tang clan and stuff like that <laughs> Um, so yeah, Lone Wolf and Cub, very influential, and I'd been slowly collecting the books, but they're very hard to find, it turns out. Mm. Um, but there happened to be, I think it was a Humble Bundle recently, and I picked up all the remaining volumes, so I've now read all 3,800 pages of Lone Wolf and Cub. <laughs> uh, it's very good. It's it's still, it holds up really, really well. Um, it's very good storytelling. It's very steeped in historical accuracy. Mm. Uh, and then you watch the films, and the films are hilarious because the films are like very schlocky 70s, like <laughs> splatterfests. Because the books are this kind of like slow, meditative thing about 
there's a lot of like discussion of honor and um like edo uh edo period japan like the death of the samurai and like the one remaining samurai and that kind of stuff and then you watch the films and it's just someone turns a baby car into a literal like minigun and mows down <laughs> 500 you know assassins uh it's <laughs> yeah it's it's good i would recommend it if like if anyone's interested in uh like obviously historical japan but also if you're interested in things like the mandalorian mm. and want more storytelling like that it's very good yeah i remember getting recommended um that series in like a you know like a you should be reading these graphic novels kind of thing because i have i've been trying to read more graphic novels i just finished one called darkwood um which is a folk horror um set in like rural english countryside and it's about like old gods and stuff like that and mix it's like a it's a crime scene that's being investigated um in the modern era that is also reminiscent of a crime that happened in the 50s and it flicks between the two times it's one of the most difficult to follow books i've ever read (laughs) and they have at the start there's like a full like family tree to track all of the characters um but it's yeah it's quite bleak uh but Mm. it was on i think it's on like the guardians you know best of 2020 or something um pardon me so we got it but yeah it's uh it's quite quite dark and not in the way that it's like ooh violence and you know uh, adult themes it's it's like quite depressing <laughs> but there you go um i've also uh, recently been I mean so we've been waiting for the next uh, issue of saga because that is fun oh, yeah. back, which is very very saga is incredible saga is fantastic cuz we bought i don't remember no if i ever spoke about this on the podcast but we bought the compendium because I had never read it before. I just heard it was amazing. And then I think there was like, I think there was a quote on the back where it was like uh, Alan Moore or something saying, you know, this this is the best. And I was like, yeah, all right, fair enough. Um, so I bought it thinking it was finished because it was called The, pe- the Compendium. Mm. Uh, and it was like episode, it was like Compendium 1. And I was like, oh, okay, this must be like something that happened and, and I can just catch up on it and read it in full. And then we finished, <laughs> we finished Compendium 1 and I was left a huss because it's it's so fantastic. And it, it yeah, just like, it's really good. It, it knows exactly how to like get you invested in every single character and make you absolutely heartbreak when something bad happens to them. But the the ending is like this huge cliffhanger and it's like heartbreaking. And then we Googled <laughs> Compendium 2 <laughs> only to find out that, that it doesn't exist because that is the current state it's in because it like i think it was like nine years ago or maybe not that long they went on like a multiple year hiatus yeah um and they are finally starting it up again soon uh so at least i didn't finish it nine years ago and had to wait that long but yeah yeah, unlike me yeah because yeah i kind of followed along with it as it was originally coming out uh and then yeah it's been a long wait but it's so good. I'm I'm genuinely shocked they there's not a tabletop RPG. There must be one in discussion. I can't somewhere. believe it hasn't been. Made We've seen the likes show, of Avatar. Like, yeah, We've yeah. seen the likes of you know, like many other comic books. Yeah, it's uh, it's fantastic. Out, so. And also, I like the it's you know like it's it's diverse and it's queer and it's hilarious and it's heartbreaking and it's action packed and it's like it genuinely provides everything. There are. It it does it does love a good penis joke, which <laughs> some of them are genuinely hilarious because they they utilize um, 
uh, that you know the the page turn, which is like mm. a, a very comic book thing. Uh, you know, Junji Ito is really good at it with his like horror splashes, where it's like you you know that it's coming. You turn the page, and there's the big gross thing. Um, but yeah, no, there are just some in- incredibly funny moments. Uh, my favorite of which is when you meet uh, Prince Robot's dad for the first time, um, which I won't spoil. But like, there is there's an entire race of robots who have televisions for heads. Mm. Um, and when you meet the king, it like I I don't know how I didn't see it coming, yeah. but it yeah it's oh, it's brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Yeah. Um, yeah, when people say it's one of the best comics of all time, like it's it, it's for probably once, the it is not like yeah. overestimated. Yeah, over- yeah, and it's not like really like because I remember first getting into graphic novels back when I was I think it was when I was working on Total War, and like the because a lot of them are like uh, superhero skewed, and it's just like mm. okay, and I I read things like you know, the killing joke. And I was like, this is, this is the best. Are you kidding? Like <laughs> it's fine. And it's aged not very well, you know, like yeah. even Alan Moore was like, mm. <laughs> like it's, <laughs> but then you read stuff like that and you're just like, no, okay. Yeah. This medium is brilliant. I also read, um, I can't remember the author's name, but in is also very, very good, uh, by Will McPhail, huh. um, which is an absolutely beautiful book. Um, which I got, it's like a, a hardback from, I think I just got it from Warzones. It wasn't actually that expensive. It was like 20 something. Um, but it is a, it's, yeah, it's, it's all about just sort of like opening up to people. Um, it's like, it's quite funny until it's not. Do you know what I mean? Like it's one yeah. of those uh, quite emotional stories. Um, but yeah, no, it's, yeah, there's, graphic novels are amazing. I'm so glad I can actually read <laughs> because can't do books because of my brain. But yeah, no, it's, it's fantastic. Um, absolutely loved it. So looking forward to that. But there you go. Yeah. Turn it into a tabletop RPG, someone. I'm sure they will. Yes, because that's easy money. Please don't make it Powered by the Apocalypse, though, or a 5th edition spin-off. Thank you very much. Okay, right. So. <laughs> Shall we move on? Moving on. To news. Let's do some uh, news, Matt. Yeah, let's do some news. Oh, Sam Man is uh, very good. Thank you, Aaron. <laughs> and Arangeville pointed out that Paper Girls is also excellent, which is I by Brian K. Bourne, and I think so. It's uh, at least some of the creative team of Saga. Uh, but oh, it's like yes. Five volumes, I think. Yeah, it's very yeah. good. Uh, yeah, uh, it's good. Right, uh, news. Uh, it's a little quieter week this week. Like I say Thanksgiving going on, but there's still some stuff to chat about. Uh, first of all, I've put on here Mothership, uh, the kind of indie RPG that was a bit of a darling a couple of years ago when it first came out. It's very much like horror RPG, like inspired by kind of like Alien, that kind of, you know, that kind of sci-fi. Uh, but it took to Kickstarter uh, for its boxed set, its first edition box set, and it's now hit over a million dollars, which I mainly bring up as kind of a... We spoke about this, I think, a few weeks ago on the podcast as well, but this year has just been huge for tabletop RPGs on Kickstarter uh, in particular. Um, We had a story on the website, uh, I think a month or two ago, where uh, an analyst was pointing out the fact that before this year, there had been something like three or four tabletop RPGs that had hit a million dollars on Kickstarter in the mm. whole of Kickstarter's history to date. And in this year, we've already had something like 10 um, that have all done I mean, over a million dollars. Is, so, there, is there a better sign of, you know, how how big of an industry it's becoming? You know, like Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and I think Mothership, the impressive thing about it is that it's not, <clears throat> it's not like Avatar, which is the most funded tabletop RPG on Kickstarter to date. In that it doesn't have a well-known IP attached to it. It's yeah. not a licensed game. It doesn't have an instant kind of bump from X number of people who already love, you know, 
There are lots of people that like Mothership, the RPG, as it released in 2019, but it's nothing close to like a TV show or a movie or a video game or anything like that. Yeah. And yet it still managed to make this incredible amount of money um, for indie creators, which is, yeah, it's fantastic. And I think it's out next year, the box set. Uh, obviously, you can go and get Mothership already if you wish to check it out. Yeah. I've not actually played it myself. I hear nothing but good things. I really no, want to play yeah. it. I don't... Uh, um, is it an original system? Uh, I but, mm, I think it might be based on like an OSR game or something. I might be getting it confused with something else. Um, but yeah, it's one of those things that we we often get a lot of requests to play Mothership, and maybe we will at some point. Um, I it's know that on a rules like D100 chassis. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Not a lot of D100 games either out there. Yeah, it's like. I've said this on our on my absolute rant of a video about what the best dice are, but like the best thing about the D10 is it's um, it's such an easy probability uh, machine because it is literally mm. and D100 is literally like the number as long as you're rolling under um, the number that you are rolling is the probability of success. So if you have to get an 87 or lower, you have an 87 percent chance of success. Like it just makes it so much easier for people to to work out how uh, how likely something is. Yeah, the only system I can think of that really uses D100 or major system is basic role playing, which powers Call of Cthulhu and Runeblast. Well, fantasy role playing is, is. Oh yeah, that does well, use yeah. D10s, right? Yeah, and your yeah. Uh, request as well. Yeah, which is coming up in a list. Which is coming it is up. Coming up in a list this weekend. Uh, most popular video on the Dicebreaker YouTube channel uh, are X Member Johnny's ten best rpgs that aren't dungeon dragons we've got six more coming at you it's turns out turns out there are more than 10 I know. rpgs that are better than D. &D. i mean there are, <laughs> there are more than 16 as well yeah turns um, out most of them are <laughs> <laughs> but yeah like i think sometimes it is that thing that like D, D is the most well-known one so if you already play D, &D but you're looking for something new go and check out words list because yeah, yeah it's up. a good selection yeah sunday uh yes uh, but yeah, well done, Mothership. Like, like I say, I'm really, I would really like to play Mothership, but I think it's like you say, it's just a sign of how big even India like tabletop RPGs are now. Yeah, like they're into the millions uh, on Kickstarter, which is wild that, in so many ways. This is the one that makes me feel the best. I think like it's it's a completely original system. Well, well you know, there are thereabouts. It's it's like not based on IP. It's an indie uh, showing. Like it's. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Like that's it's, just, that's just really. Great. It's what Kickstarter was designed for. Exactly, Someone's got yeah. a great original idea. They're a small creator that might not have been able to do a huge print run. Otherwise, they take that great idea to a platform and people give them money for it. Yeah, yeah. It, it feels like the thing that Kickstarter was designed for and is rarely used for nowadays. Uh, speaking of which, <laughs> also on Kickstarter, <laughs> there's a new look at that segue like a pro. <laughs> Put me on BBC Radio Four. Um, there is a new Zombicide game. It is, I believe, Commons, uh, or if you're Alex Meehan, Simon's uh, 50th Kickstarter. I refuse to pronounce it that way. Yeah, uh, I know it's the actual refuse. way we do it. But... Uh, yeah. no, I think Meehan does it mainly just to wind me up. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, Marvel Zombies, uh, speaking of comic books, based on the spin-off series of comics, which see... Folks like Captain America and Iron Man and so on become zombies or survive a zombie apocalypse. They're, they're pretty good fun. Like, I've read them. They're fine. Like, they, they do what's on the tin. They do zombies and they do Marvel. Um, and now, lo and behold, uh, Zombicide, the very popular 
game series of games about zombies is getting a Marvel Zombies entry. I uh, hate this. Hate so it. I think they... I can't remember <laughs> the last game they put out that had the A zombie side game uh, like badge on it. I don't think this is the first one, but they're now doing these kind of like spin-off games, which are like they use the system of zombie side, which is pretty standard, like dungeon crawling. You move around, you got cards and weapons and stuff like that. You roll dice to attack. Uh, you can set things off and alert zombies in this case. Uh, but yeah, this is this is that. But hey, if you want to play as the Hulk, you can. If you want to play as Captain Marvel, you can. They're all in there. Oh, oh my goodness, Zombie Galactus! There will be miniatures, because of course there will be. Oh god! Yeah. Oh so... my god, the size of the Galactus! <laughs> oh my god, the Galactus miniature! Oh my god! Yeah. Oh uh, Christ! So this is from Come On, who put out the when they did Cthulhu Death Must Death May Die, they put out a Cthulhu statue that was like the size of a small car. It was ridiculous. Um, yeah, it's just. Like I say, it's like the two extremes of Kickstarter. You've got, on one hand, indie creators making great stuff, getting money for it. On the other hand, you've got companies that have already made millions of dollars looking for millions more dollars with big billion-dollar IP in their hands. So... Fun yeah. times. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the game I was thinking of is they did a Night of the Living Dead zombie side game. That was, I think, the first A zombie side game spinoff. I'm not but of sure, course, there have been um, so many zombie side games. Yeah, point. and I'm not sure any of them have ever actually been very good. Uh, I do not care for them. I got no. Be I don't. I, know people, I don't people think they're good like games. Them. I think they have lots of miniatures in, and I think people like miniatures. But uh, fighting way for a load of zombies is like a tried and tested formula, right? It's like it's satisfying, but and if that's if that's what you dig, that's fine. But yeah, I have never really got along with any of the zombie side games. I just found them all to be a bit like cluttered and for what they are quite overwrought and mm. so on. Um, yeah, so Marvel <laughs> Zombies, hey, if you want to go and pitch some money at a company that has a lot of money, you can. What's really annoying me about this is the Galactus miniature, which, <laughs> it, like, I'm sure most people know Marvel now, but, like, Galactus is the dude who eats planets. Like, that's how mm. big he is, hence the name Galactus. Uh, he's kind of like a Lovecraft god, but in Marvel. Um, he's, like, stupidly big, like twice the size of the box that the game comes in. But also, in comparison to the miniatures, not that big in terms of Galactus. So why have a miniature for him? It's like having a miniature for actual, you know, like... Uh, what's it called? Like... Not Cthulhu, because that he like he's in the ocean, isn't he, or whatever. Yeah, but you know, one of the ones that is literally as big as a universe, and it's like, <laughs> why is there a miniature? Am I going to move him around a board? What purpose is yeah. this? Yeah, I feel like they at some point they just need to go all the way with it. And you know, like the magazines that were big in the nineties, and you would pay like seven quid a month, and it would come with like a tiny part of a ship yes. or something. They like they need to those. do that, but it's like here's one part of a Galactus figure. Here's just the fingertip of Galactus. Yeah. And over two hundred fifteen installments, <laughs> you'll be able to build a Galactus that is like seven foot high. Because um, <laughs> look, we we had those nine foot skeletons at Halloween. We have the technology. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I mean, God. put one of those in the game. And at what point? Here's another question. 
apart from it being smaller than actual Galactus, at what point is a miniature not a miniature anymore? <laughs> yeah, I don't, so I don't know in this case, statue. but are you even using it for like a gameplay purpose? Surely not. It just... It's bigger than the box. I can't, I cannot imagine there's any actual use for that thing, apart from just being a cool thing that you can get on Kickstarter, you know? Yeah. Like, just sell a Galactus costume, says Eric. Because <laughs> there's the, we played the, um, the Rising game, so like uh, Dark Side Rising and Thanos Rising, and mm. they have they have a statue in the middle. They have like the the bust of Darth Vader, or they have yeah. like Thanos pointing a finger. But they at least spin, and so they serve a purpose because that like it's the one centerpiece. It's the one thing in that box that yeah. isn't just cardboard. So it kind of works. But yeah, where you already have just endless miniatures, just putting in something that is just so yeah. It's just like a marketing. It's just marketing thing, right? It's like, yeah, no, hundred percent. It's, it's like, a. You uh, it's you a, hear the automatic feeder in the background. <laughs> it's a. It's a miniature measuring contest, and yeah, it is a miniature measuring contest, Matt Jarvis, <laughs> uh, uh, and I hate it. Um, yeah. But there we go. Big measuring contest would have been better as that joke. I think. Uh, <laughs> let's move on. Talking of measuring, they've measured a whole load of Pokemon cards, fake Pokemon cards, uh, that were seized this week uh, in a Shanghai airport. So it is almost eight tons of counterfeit Pokemon cards. Holy crap. Oh, my God. Yeah, so I pulled this because they say it is one of the biggest fake halls in recent years, and it is, um, like, among the biggest, like, fake fake IP halls. Um, and so we've we've spoken a lot about just how big Pokemon is now. I mean, it's always been big. It's Pokemon. Yeah. But particularly over the last year, you see cards going for just ridiculous amounts of money, um, trading hands between celebrities who... I guess didn't have anything better to do during lockdown. It was like it was either Pokemon cards or NFTs, so I can't I yeah, can't help them fair. that way. Like <laughs> if you want to pay a load of money for a piece of cardboard that was printed 20 years ago and therefore has like very little environmental impact today, good on you. Don't invest in NFTs, they're a scam. Mm. So yeah, so um this was reported by Yikai Global, uh, the Chinese business news outlet. So they were seized at Pudong Airport. On November twenty third, and it is seven point six tons of Pokemon cards, which I can't even wrap my head around what that looks like in a room. Like, what's how many how many Snorlax is there? How many there is, Jigglypuff? There is a video uh, uh, embedded in the Dicebreaker article on Dicebreaker.com, mm. which has which like a palette. Yeah, it's it's like. Uh, it's 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 basically like a one of those shipping containers worth, I think. Like maybe more. <laughs> yeah, it is staggering. Um, yeah, and so these are these were like Spanish language cards, I think, from one of the, the more recent expansions. Um, so it's not like they are they were cloning the first edition cards, which tend to be the ones worth the most money, but also tend to be the most subject to very strenuous uh, checks about how real they are. Um, yeah, I mainly just pulled this as a thing of like eight, almost eight tons of Pokemon cards. That's wild. Like, yeah, what are they going to do with them? They just oh, gonna... God knows, God knows, Matt. I, I just, they, I guess they just burn them, right? Like, I would guess so. They, I guess they must or pulp them Christ. if they can. And again, Personally. like, you know, I guess it's bad that people are stealing, but also at this point, you know. 
thanks for burning an entire shipping container's worth of cardboard for no reason, you know? like it's Especially during uh, the moment where there's a kind of a global card shortage going on yeah. to take eight tons of card. I would hope that they're able to pulp it if it doesn't have too much foil, so yeah. they can just reuse it somehow. Um, but yeah, I mean, again, this shows just how wild the Pokemon scene has got over the last year. We've heard reports of, you know, supermarkets and... Uh, What's the American? What's the American word? I forget. <laughs> Superstores? I don't know. Like uh, Target stores. and so yeah, Walmart, Target, um, taking them off of shelves because people were stealing them or literally fighting in the aisles over even more recent expansions. It's just this is the point we're at with Pokemon cards. Uh, so yeah, the the idea that someone somewhere was like, tell you what, we need is eight tons of fake cards to sell. Uh, I guess isn't that surprising, but it's still just staggering by the sheer amount of them. <laughs> Nathanielli says they're called big box stores. And I forgot that in America, things have to be named after how they are used. <laughs> <laughs> Sidewalk, big box store. <laughs> I can see it. Oh, God. Uh, yeah, so there you go. Uh, it, hey, if you're getting Pokemon cards, maybe make sure that they're genuine. If you're putting any money into Pokemon cards... Um, but at the same time, maybe just enjoy the game and don't feel like you have to stick a load of money into it. Yeah. Also, it's not that good. Like... <laughs> hey, it's fine. It's fine. Play, for, like, it does the Pokemon TCG. thing. It does the Pokemon thing. Yeah. In the same way that it, it's like magic, right? It's like, speaking of Dune earlier, it's like those game mechanics are those game mechanics. They can't really, all they can do at this point is bolt stuff on top of them because mm. they can't change what's at the foundation of it all. Um, I got nothing wrong with Pokemon cards. Like they're fun to look at. Uh, Rangel right. says, "But you park in the driveway and drive on a parkway. Do we drive on a parkway? I don't know what a parkway is. I've never heard of a parkway. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's there's train stations. Oh, in the US. Parkway. Oh, in the US. Uh, I see. Like it's over our British heads. It's too much. Oh, we uh, do. Okay, right. Sorry. <laughs> one one drives and." <laughs> <laughs> Uh, right, uh, so we've got some uh, other news stories, of course, on the website, Matt. Some fantastic yeah, news quickly. stories. Yeah, um, Alex Mean spoke to one of the, or I believe, the lead designer of D&D's new book, the Strixhaven book, which is the latest crossover with Magic the Gathering. Um, Amanda Hammon, I believe you can go and check that out over on the website. Uh, they chatted about how it's influenced by things like Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Uh, which was very uh, entertaining and kind of like 90s rom-coms and that mm. kind of thing. Um, there's also Jean-Luc uh, who broke down, speaking of big sci-fi games, you mentioned Twilight Imperium earlier, Jean-Luc broke down uh, Eclipse, yes. Second Dawn for the Galaxy, and Twilight Imperium 4, kind of the big, the biggest of the big space games, mm. um, and which one you should consider playing first if you're considering picking up one, because they are both very big, very expensive, uh, very long to play. Uh, but both worth playing, but which one should you go for first? Uh, there's also me, IK. I wrote a list, Wills. I wrote a list. My of goodness. Best, the best games you should play if you like Scrabble. Best word games, specifically. I might nick uh, that. Because I love them. Yeah, they're great. Paperback. I love paperback. Like, mm-hmm. Bananagram still holds up. Uh, there's a lot of good word games nowadays. So, hey, if you don't want to spend, like, seven hours playing Scrabble and looking things up in the dictionary, play one of those instead. Uh also, of course, it is Black Friday today, and if you are looking to pick something up, obviously be careful, like, make sure that you're actually getting a deal, uh, but if you want to 
get kind of a jump start on some of the board game stuff out there, we've got a roundup of that as well. So you can head on over to the website at the moment. And we've picked out some that we think are good deals. Mm. There you go. All right. Shall we move on? Um, before we move on, I will say that if there are folks in the chat who want to ping us some questions, please do so. Uh, because I haven't pulled that many for this week. So if you have a question for us, and it can be about anything, it can be about board games, can be about RPGs, can be about whatever you want. Stick it in the chat and we will pull it out later. And speaking of things in the chat, at the top the of this yes. podcast, we asked a question to you in the chat. Feel free to give us more answers now. We'll be providing ours. I forgot to think about it, so I haven't pulled it out yet. Um, <laughs> but I asked, seeing as it is Black Friday, uh, what are the best deals in tabletop gaming? What is a game that you pay a very small amount of money for and get so much enjoyment out of? Uh, we've got a few few answers here. Not all of them very serious. Uh, Chris Longhurst says, I can't remember how much I pay for any of my games because I buy them through Kickstarter. So by the time they show up, the price is... Uh? Um, Ian Brown says, Gloomhaven is £75 on Amazon right now. Complete bargain. Which is half a joke and half kind of true price. because it does kind of, you know, uh, give you games for pretty much the rest of your life. So, you know. There's a lot of Gloomhaven. There's a lot of Gloomhaven. Uh, Charlie Efridge Nunn says, I replayed Tiny Epic Quest recently, and it's always amazing mm. how much stuff gets packed into a tiny box. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and another one from Charlie as well. I bought a uh, Ground Force card game in a charity shop for £2.50, which wow. was surprisingly fun. And we've played a bunch for anyone not in the know, for our US audience. Uh, Ground Force, a uh, gardening TV show from the 90s, maybe a little bit in the 2000s. Uh, featuring what's his name? The Alan Titchmarsh. Alan Titchmarsh. Yeah. Charlie Dimmick did water features. Alan Titchmarsh did flower beds. Then there was the other guy uh, who I always confuse with the person from Time Team. Yeah, and together they were the ground force. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> By their powers combined. Uh, Ian Brown says best value for money for any game I've bought is Love Letter, ten pounds mm. on hundreds of plays. Um, David says, I would after, agree. After last week's gruesome tales chat, no, hey, hold on, that's oh, a question. That's a question my bad. Save that. Uh, but yeah, there you go. <laughs> you stay to your segment, Wheel, and I'll stick to mine. Um, yeah. Right, Matt, what is the best deal in board gaming? I would agree with. I think Love Letter is a great example. It's super yeah. cheap. Um, it's yeah, I think it's under a tenner generally, and I've played it more than most games. I didn't think. I've played it maybe it's the game i have played the most just in terms of number of plays um but it's so quick it's super portable uh, i'd also say that hive hive is also yes. around the same price um particularly hive pocket is a favorite and it comes with chunky uh, acrylic tiles mm. and they are very durable so they'll last a long time and i think hive is one of those like genuinely timeless games you just play it forever it's like chess like you can just play it as its own there are expansions we don't really need them sometimes they're included but it is yeah, a real masterpiece. Uh, I think Cheating Moth is an incredible deal. It costs, it costs like a fiver or something, or a tenner. Um, I also think... Uh, oh, God, it just slipped out of my head literally just then. Uh, oh, I was going to... Yeah, sorry. Codenames is probably the most value for money mm. I've ever gotten out of a board game. Like, I think I've played Codenames a million times. Uh, the Crew is something actually Space Cornet just said. That's something I was going to bring up as well. The crew has like a whole campaign. It's like a little tiny little 20-quid box. Um, and I have to agree with the uh, the Tiny Epic series, which, mm. again, so much like gameplay in such a miniature little box for not very much at all. So there you go. Yeah, you I think like small small card games and things like that yes. 
like even sushi go like i played sushi go so much and it probably costs uh, 10 quid mm. and compared to games that you know i can buy a game for 70 quid and it might take a couple of hours to play but i'll play sushi go in half an hour but i'll play it 50 times yeah so yeah it's sushi go is a great game there you go all righty then yeah all right let's move on to some questions from the chat thank you for your questions uh, if you've got some questions, you can email us at podcast at dicebreaker.com. You can tweet us at join dicebreaker. Or if you're watching live every Friday from 2 p.m. GMT, you can just stick them in the chat. Here on youtube.com forward slash dicebreaker. The channel the one. you're already watching. Uh, right, let's let's pop up some questions. Matt, would you like to begin? Because you, you, tend to, you tend to give out the first question to some of us uh, lucky guests here on the mm. podcast. But how about the host reads out this question from... Two-month member of Dicebreaker Plus, Retro Futurologist. Yeah, thank you. I am very generous. Thank you for noting that. Um, <laughs> a Retro Futurologist asks, to loop back around to the sandwich chat. The Fantastic, start, yeah. Uh, this was at last week's podcast. I pulled this, but we didn't have time for it last week, um, uh, where Wills opened the show by eating a sandwich. I did. <laughs> we only have the finest content here on, <laughs> on the no, Dicebreaker YouTube Wills opened the, opened the show by talking about the fact that he just finished a sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> Um, what are the DB team's favorite food themed games? Ooh. And this leads on nicely because I was just talking about Sushi Go. Yes. I think Sushi Go is right up there. Um, I believe we may have a list actually, in fact, of this very subject on the Dicebreaker website. Um, I believe Sam Nelson may have written it, written it for us. But I think Sushi Go is brilliant. Uh, I will also shout out Point Salad, which Point uh, great. if anyone's been watching for a while, they'll know how much we love Point Salad because we played it. Incessantly for a while. There is also um I can't remember what it's called. It doesn't it looks very bad. Like it's got crap graphic design. I think maybe they were doing a reprint. Is this Food Chain Magnet? No, not Food Chain Magnet, which I think looks lovely. Um but the uh real time kitchen game, Kitchen Rush. Oh, think, Kitchen Rush, um, yes. Which is uh very, very similar to Overcooked, if you've played that video game, uh where it is a co-op real-time, uh, very stressful uh, kitchen management thing, uh, which you play um, with sand timers. Uh, and it's, yeah, it's supposed to be very, very good. It is. It is brilliant. And the first edition does look like crap. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But this, the new edition, which we have a copy of, and I've kind of flicked through, mm. um, it, yeah, they have fixed a lot of the stuff that I didn't like about the first version. Cool. Because um, the first edition was a great concept, and then some of the sand timers weren't produced very well so yeah. they would have different levels even at the same time which was very confusing and a lot of the components were not great so they seem to fix a lot of those things in the second version um, and i believe they've also put in more of like a tutorial mode so that it ramps up from the basics of just delivering food through to things like managing your staff yeah. and like washing up and but yeah kitchen rush is a is a really really good game there you go. Uh, I'll read this one out from Aaron Wimmer, who says, yeah. what do you think makes a good solo game? Mm, good question. That is a good question. I think, um, so I've, I've, I'm have i not like a massive solo gamer. Like I've played uh, a few, I've played a few solo RPGs. Um, I tend to learn games solo if we're doing like a review or a let's play that I need to know it in advance. Um, I think... The thing that makes a good solo game is often the thing that makes a good co-op game. I think they're very similar beasts. Um, it's about having a satisfying puzzle uh, to unpick and one that you can't predict quite as easily, you know? Like, I think there's... Um, 
there's something quite dull about knowing what's going to come all the time when mm-hmm. you're playing on your own because then it feels like just doing admin like I, I think a lot of the fun of solo games is having to have those meaningful decisions as much as possible you know it's the it's the same as designing a good video game right it's like how how often is the player like having to make like a really interesting choice uh and and how enjoyable are those decisions to make um i think you get the same thing with co-op where it's like you know you've got like a central uh like mechanism that you're toying with um and it needs to feel like interactive it it needs to not feel like you've got no choice whatsoever because those are the worst where it's just like i'm just rolling dice and hoping for the best um but i think it also yeah it needs to it needs to have a a decent amount of sort of decision making points where the player can really affect the outcome uh and feel like they had like a lot of control over what happened and and can get some enjoyment out of making those decisions of of which path to go down yeah i find that i i've played quite a few games solo because like you sometimes it's just easier if you're learning a game to play it solo and i know that some people really like the more complex um like automata modes and things like that but sometimes i find like you say like if it becomes more admin than me actually playing the game that's where the problem if it it's fine if it kind of feels like taking a turn then taking a turn on behalf of the computer but if you're having to look up kind of like flow charts in a book or like branching things because like if game state a or game state b depending on like at some point if you're running the game more than getting to play the game mm. then i don't think that that's a positive experience because it shouldn't take longer for you to yeah for you to like you say operate the game than to actually yeah like, the, be the player the luxury that solo games do not have is that sort of like idle chatter that you can have whilst doing those things in board games like and just like the bit of like, oh, can you pass me one of those? Let's do that. Watch off of that. And and it's like it's downtime. Whereas downtime in a solo experience, unless it is you know specifically mechanized in that way, like it's a you know a relaxation point or something, which is obviously a big thing in video game design. But in board games, I think you are literally just shuffling papers, and it's like cool. I didn't really want to do a job when I sat down to play a game, you know. But yeah. here we are. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I will say one of the, the best side of games I've played is This War of Mine, uh, which is just based on the video game. And I think it actually, that's a game where it feels like they had a good solo game because it's basically that video game. And then they try to make it multiplayer. And generally, the multiplayer aspect of it is you've got a book of scripts, which is the narrative aspect, and you just pass that around the group. Yeah. And it's very odd because it's like, well, this is kind of just like a one player game that happens to have multiple people sat here. And there's just not really any interaction between players. So I think that's the other way it can go. Is like if games feel like we came up with the design for one person and then just like copied and pasted it four times and you're either playing in a silo or there's just no interaction between you. It's like, well, at this point, I might as well just play kind of by myself or uh, apart from Roland Rights because Roland Rights are so quick and they're just pure, uh, yeah, pure high score aiming like Ganshon Clever I got big into as a solo game and it's very good I think you have Roland Wrights do a do a good job of it as well I think th- there are there are games where even when you're playing it multiplayer it feels like you're just kind of playing a solo game together you know yeah. what I mean? like um so having that be like like I'm pretty sure you can make a very simple Azul solo variant I'm sure there is one to be honest but like you know that that thing of like you know 
arbitrarily t- tokens get taken away from you and you're like um, and then you're basing it on just the score that you got at the end yeah I think I at least need some kind of like grading system as well because if mm. it's just like oh get the best score you can it's like okay well what yeah, are you for? Like, I need some objective yes yeah or the you know missions which like, like the crew you know like where mm. it's like can you beat this thing yeah. like here's a scenario or even just um, achievements uh, which has been a we talked about recently has been a thing in board games recently like a an achievement system for solo players like okay cool so you've managed to play this game uh, but can you do it can you manage this in a single playthrough can you do this in in one playthrough mm. um something that i've seen in uh the digital version of ticket to ride uh no not ticket to ride sorry um uh god railroad inc that's the one <laughs> on yeah. the train um yeah it has like a, a decent sort of like you know I'm trying to beat other people's scores or I'm trying to uh, get like a specific achievement and gives you a little badge or that kind of stuff, um, which is good. So yeah. There you go. We have a question here as a super chat from Norm Kelly. Um, and this is a very specific one, uh, which is, is Anglish and other conlags, um, conlangs, sorry, good for RPGs, which I had to Google, to be honest. Uh, Ooh, so did I. Constructed <laughs> languages. Um, so things like, I'm guessing like Pig Latin and that kind of stuff, but... Uh, Anglish, I'm assuming, is um, like a, an experimental version of the English language. But... Yeah, I guess it depends what context you mean. Like, do you mean to play in and to speak in as a character, or do you mean literally to like run a game in? Because I feel if ah. it's that thing where it's less accessible because so you're playing go. in a language only some of the group know. A register or form of English that gives preference to words of native Germanic origin over words of foreign. Uh, origin in English, you might call a dictionary a word book, for oh. example. So, oh, sure. yeah, I think it's like again, it it depends on like characterization and and how you communicate with the people around the table, right? Like, I, I think there's um, like people do this already when they're like, "Oh, my lord, uh, thou hast uh, mm. offended me," or whatever. You know, that it's it's like a very um, you know, we call it like ye olde English, but we're 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 not really speaking, uh, you know, Jacobian or whatever. Um, but you know, there's. Uh, there's a lot of, um, you know, play language that I think we use anyway. So as long as people know what what you're saying, or, that's the main like, thing. Yeah, it's I like, think it's yeah. absolutely fine. Like everything with RPGs, right? It's like if you just mention it to the people around the table, like, "Hey, is this all right?" Like, you know, is everyone going to understand? Is everyone comfortable with it? And so on. That's the main thing. Like from there, if you've got the consent of the rest of your group, like go for it. Yeah. <laughs> like that's always the thing. Yeah, I think in in general, like it's. It's it's mainly just sort of like this is what my character does, and as long as everyone is comfortable, that's fine. Yeah. Um, Matt, would you like to read this question from David Leonard Flanagan? Sure. Member uh, of Flanagan. two months. Yeah. Thanks months. very much. Uh, after last week's gruesome tales chat, uh, what children's program from your childhood would you like to see adapted into a board game? So this was like Grizzly Ooh. Tales for Gruesome Kids. Uh, which was a fixture of ITV in the late 90s, I want to say, through yeah. to early noughties. Uh, yeah, it was basically a load of slightly scared, kind of Goosebumps-esque stories, but in stop motion. Uh, wow. Children's program from my childhood. There is mm. apparently already a Samurai Jack board game that's not very good. Uh, oh, I would yeah. assume a Samurai Jack board game would be quite fun. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think what I watched as a kid. I mean, mostly just rubbish. I mean, mostly like a lot of Pokemon and Digimon, so that stuff already exists. Uh, yeah, I'm the... trying to think of like 
you know, TV shows that would fit an interesting board game. Like, I don't think Dexter's Lab would make a super interesting board game, you know, apart from just sort of fan service. Like, you know, there's mm. nothing about that show that is specifically an interesting thing to explore gameplay-wise, you know what I mean? Um, God. I think that's the thing. It's like, what kid shows have, like, deeper, I guess, world-building or lore or storytelling? Like, a lot of them have ended up as more than that anyway at this point. But I think a lot of them are designed to be very much Maybe more Kids standalone Next Door. premise. Kids Next Door, yeah. Yeah, I think Kids Next Door would have an interesting um, angle to it. I also think... Um, oh, God, what's it called? Foster's Home for Imaginary Friends might be interesting if you were, mm. were creating imaginary friends to do things. Maybe like a worker placement game in which you... <laughs> it, it reminds me of uh, the Frankenstein game from Plaid Hat where you're like constructing oh, yeah. Frankensteins out of corpse bits, but maybe a bit less morbid. Um, but yeah. I, I, my whole mind is blank. And you're thinking of like slightly older. For me, like I immediately went back to like early childhood. Mm. And then all I could think about was the Lampies, which was the show about the people that lived in a lamp. <laughs> <laughs> like a street lamp. Uh yeah, God, like baby, baby shows. Williams Wish Wellingtons. Okay. <laughs> I'll take what Bernard Bernard's Watch. <laughs> Bernard's but, Watch. Yeah, but it's but home, it, like listen here, it's the like Queen's a programming Nose. game. So it's like Robo Rally. So you mm-hmm. pause time, you program a load of things, then you unpause time. Yeah, and you have to try and hope that things work out well. Uh, mostly, I remember with that Bernard Watch, he would just turn around like the hose into someone's face. Mm. He was yeah, he was just a bit of a just a bit of a yeah wrong. I don't think anyone should be trusted with the ability to stop time. To be honest, Matt, it's especially not a small child. Um, no, because then what if they? What if they? You know, if they then get injured or something or pass away, like then time is frozen forever and no one knows and imagine. all just ends. Yeah, imagine. Imagine. Um, um, <laughs> demon headmaster. Oh, to the queen's nose. Make could, a queen's. I nose. just said the queen's nose when you were talking. Oh, did you? Yeah, no, yeah. queen's nose. Absolutely, demon headmaster. I think maybe. Yeah. yeah. Actually, maybe it is the older ones that are a little bit more interesting. Mm, um, trapped. I do want to uh, shout out to uh, Williams Wish Wellingtons for having a fantastic theme song in Williams Wish Wellingtons. <laughs> fantastic stuff. Just absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Um, Raven. Make a Raven. Raven is a great Raven. shout. There you go. Good question. Very good question, David Lenflagon. Thank you very much. Yeah. Uh, all right, Wills, would you like to read this last one from Weihan Lim? Yes, Weihan Lim says, just as the Mountain Goats made a D&D inspired concept album, which artists would you like to see make a concept album about which tabletop experience? This is a very, very good question. Mm. Uh, I would love to see Coheed and Cambria uh, make a an album about... I haven't figured out what yet, but I just want to, I want to see them because all of their best music was based on the mm. Singer's graphic novel series. I was going to say, of of most bands, Coheed and Cambria feel like a band that should already have... Yes, a tabletop was, universe. There uh, was like... A, was it like Striga Wolf or something? There was some metal band that had a board game a few years ago and I feel like Coheed and Cambria is just primed for that. Yeah, right? surely. You've got your law. He's got his comic book series. Yeah. I, I think... Um, oh, God. I think it would be an RPG. Um, mm. I'm thinking maybe, like, Morkborg or something like that. But I think Morkborg yeah. is so heavy metal that they're they're a bit too light for Morkborg. <laughs> but, I mean, to be fair, Morkborg already comes with, like, a soundtrack, doesn't it? 
Yeah, it does. Yeah, and I think they even someone put out like a third party adventure for it that has a vinyl that comes with it, or you play it yes. with a vinyl. Yeah, no, maybe that's what I'm thinking of actually. Yeah, um, oh, Mortal Koala is absolutely right in saying that the X Men theme song is the best cartoon theme song. By the mm. way, uh, I w- do also want to shout out. Uh, this is just a theme song chat now. I do also want to shout out the um, the Spider Man cartoon with uh, Spider Man, Spider Man, radioactive <laughs> Spider Man. Sonic Underground. Sonic Underground had some pretty good. Uh, also, That's Sonic the one where they all play instruments. Yeah. Sonic oh. X. Sonic X. Sonic X. <laughs> Uh, uh, oh yeah, Cowboy Bebop is a great shout. Aaron Wimai as well. Mm. Um, but yes, uh, I, I would love to see Coheed make a, a tabletop themed concept album. I'm not entirely sure what around. I think I want them to write an RPG that comes with an album. I think that's what I want. I don't yeah. think anything fits Coheed as well as they could make themselves. You know. What about, what about you, Matt? Mm. I. See, I was going to say the Wu-Tang Clan, but I feel like I've said this before, because I feel like we had a similar question many, many a year ago. The problem is with Sonic themes but... is the best one is Sonic Heroes, which is not a TV show, but a video game. Sonic Heroes! <laughs> which Mian isn't here for to sing with me, but... Somewhere she's singing it, she's just belling it out. Yeah. She doesn't know why. She's done the, uh, she's done the response to my call. Um... This is a genuinely difficult question. Yeah, I like. I know what artists I would like to do a concept album, but then trying to fit something tabletop to that is I a very think, different. I think I would love to see Radiohead make an album about like a really introspective solo RPG. Do you know what I mean? Like, oh sure. I'm trying to think now what like what solo RPG that would be. Like, what's a Radiohead? It would need to be political. Yeah, it would need to be. Downbeat. Yeah. Um, what was the one that came out? There was one about Brexit. It was like Brexit, but as a post-apocalypse. Oh, that would be yes. the Radiohead. Uh, like, Mo- it was really like good. I wanted Shadow to of Mog. Shadow of Mog, I think. Yeah, Shadow of Mog. That's the radio. The Radiohead Shadow of Mog album. Shadow of Mog sounds like it could be a Radiohead yeah. song from like Big 1998. Fan Big fan of that. Yeah. yeah, I really wanted to do something on Shadow of Mog, but I just didn't have the time, unfortunately. Cause I think we're still about on the website. but It is really good. Um Okay, all right. Okay, I just want to point out, Matt, this is really important. Uh, the Spider-Man <laughs> theme song that I was singing earlier, uh, the guitar was played by Slash from Guns N' Roses. Was it really? <laughs> Formerly of Guns N' Roses. Who, um, who signed that? Who was like, you know who we need for this? Slash. To be fair, mate, the guitar slaps. It does rip. It, yeah, it, it is does incredible. Uh, so, you know, fair play. Um... But there you go, Way Hanlon. Thank you very much for your question. Yeah, thanks very much for your question. Uh, and that Some fantastic is... questions on this episode. Yeah, right? thanks yeah. very much. Uh, like I say, if you've got your own question for this here podcast, you can email it to us at dicebreaker, uh, podcast at dicebreaker.com. You can drop it in the chat if you're watching live or tweet us at join Dicebreaker. Uh, we appreciate all of them. We try to answer as many as we can. So just fire them in. doesn't need to be about board games. It can be about whatever you want. Uh, and we'll answer it. But that is all the questions we have for this week and all the time we have for this week. And look at that, an hour and a half. We've actually done it. Look all at that. It t- all it took was to cull down most of the team. <laughs> <laughs> tight as anything. We're on a tight ship here. Uh, thank you very much for joining me. Of course, Michael Wills-Whelan. Thanks very much for having me. Uh, I've been Matt Jarvis. I've been your host. I appreciate it all. 
thank you if you've been listening or watching live. Thank you if you're listening uh, after the fact. You know, we appreciate it all. Uh, we'll be back next Friday, as always, live from 2pm GMT on youtube.com slash dicebreaker. But in between, you can find us over on dicebreaker.com as well and at join Dicebreaker on Twitter. But for now, that is all the time we have. Enjoy your weekends all. Stay safe out there. And until we meet again, have a lovely day. Bye-bye. Bye.